0: Valley Real Life, how are we doing? Yeah. I feel like I need to introduce myself. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors, you know, here on staff. Uh, I want to thank you so much, you know, for your prayers and support, you know, as I continue to heal. Uh, not near 100% yet. In fact, going to be gone uh, the next couple weeks for some previously scheduled uh, retreats, like for example, next weekend is our annual elders and wives retreat in Montana. So I just ask you to join us in prayer as we continue to seek the Lord together for what his plans are for this place. So I'm excited to be able to be up there, you know, with them. Um, I, I also want to let you guys know, you know, that uh, in this series called Experiencing God, I really, really hope that you've actually come to know him, to experience him in a deep and profound way as much as I have over these last several weeks uh, by the way, um, here are the things that we've covered in case uh, you, you, you've forgotten or you have not been a part of the series. We know that God is at work. We know that he wants a relationship with us. We know that he invites us. We know that it's challenging, you know, for us to not follow our will and our way, but to trust that his will and his way is better. And there's this crisis of belief. And we understand, you know, that if we can actually just take some of those steps, we'll see and we'll experience God, not just know more about him. Uh, I want to take a second just to thank Tyler, Trevor, Zach, Bree, Steve, and then today Kelly for speaking. Didn't they all do a great job? You know, amazing, amazing job. God's at work. I mean, I just look at our cross and I'm just blown away, you know, just to see how full that thing is, uh, because God is at work around us. He's at work in your lives. And it's just an honor, you know, to just to be able to be a a small part of it. Now, many of you have asked, uh, what's going on with Dan? You know, what's what really happened to me? And uh, I, I thought it was important for me to be vulnerable, to be honest with you, because um, I realized very quickly that you were filling in some inaccurate things, uh, and I think that, that could be more detrimental than helpful. And so allow me to back up just a bit. Uh, I have struggled uh, with weight my entire life. Uh, it's something that our family has, you know, as well. My dad uh, didn't die of being overweight, but when he got an autoimmune deficiency disorder, let's just say weight didn't help his prognosis. Now, many of you also know that in the last four years, I've uh, completed two half Ironman. I've done many tri sprints. I've swam twice across the entire Lake of Coeur d'Alene, 2.4 miles. So I can just tell you it's not for a lack of working out, you know, is what I mean to say. It's something that it's a regular part of my life. Uh, In addition, uh, I've also been on most every diet that you can think of, you know, um, over the last several years. And as I get older and older, it's getting harder and harder. Can I get an Amen. All right, I I'll know I'm not the only one here. Most concerning, though, is that within the last year, uh, there were some other health issues that were beginning to creep up. And, and so I knew in talking to my doctor that we needed to kind of nip this in the bud. In fact, in talking with uh, Steve Allen, uh, this verse uh, kind of came to mind in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I don't know about you, but I want to be the best follower of Jesus. I want to be the best father I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. I want to be the best pastor that I can be for you for many years to come. And so I want to walk through and take care of some of these things in my life. And so about six months or so ago, I started to seriously explore this idea of weight loss surgery. And uh, Which has come a long way in the last 10 to 15 years, and although I know that there's some stigma that's attached to that as well. So I talked to my doctor, I talked to our elders, I talked to my wife, I talked to a group of men that I so value their opinion to join me on this journey and to see if this might be the right thing. And to a man, as well as to my wife and doctor, they said, no, this is actually probably a good thing for you based on your health issues and some of these other things. Plus, the reason why is not so that you can wear skinny jeans in the future. You know, that they thought that was probably, you know, not the motivation, you know, for me being able to do this. The reason I mention that is because many of you have noticed that I've already lost weight, but many of you have expressed concern. And you said, hey, do you have cancer? Do you have something else that's going on? Are we going to hear that there's some other major health issues? So actually, I don't, which is a praise. And this is actually a good part of this. Now, on April 18th, you know, I got the simple weight loss procedure and everything was going great. It was quick healing, laparoscopic. You know, as I said, it was going well until it wasn't. One week later, on April 25th, something I did, I overdid it. And I remember getting out of bed, and my body was just tingling from head to toe. And uh, pain started, went zero to 100. I got lightheaded. I luckily sat down, and then I collapsed in our kitchen. I completely fainted. And I hit the ground. My wife jumps up out of bed. My son comes upstairs. And I just I woke up pretty much right away. And they said, uh, you okay? You okay? So just give me a few minutes. I think I just overdid it. Uh, But then it began to be hard to breathe. So we called 911 and uh, led me into the Kootenai uh, hospital down in Coeur d'Alene. They did a CT scan, and uh, I went from collapsing into the OR within less than two hours. Uh, I had over a liter of blood that was internally bleeding that was taken out. And uh, I had to have blood transfusions, uh, and I had to be cut from from my stomach all the way to my chest to open up to try to find out where this massive bleeding was coming from. So that kept me in the hospital you know, for six days, and then they've told me it's gonna be anywhere from six to 12 week you know, kind of recovery depending on the body. So I'm not fully there yet, but I, I mention you know, this because one of the things that really hits me is that God is always at work. He works through his people. He works through circumstances. He works through the Holy Spirit, and he works through the church. You need to understand how amazing our elders are Three of our elders moved their offices from their normal location to the hospital for multiple days just so they could be a support to Carolina as well as the family. Many of you, you know, came alongside with visits, text messages, emails as the word kind of slowly got out. Then so many of you brought meals. Others wanted to. We said, no, we can't take any more meals at this time. Uh, Some even paid for house cleaning or some came over to fix things. Uh, that I couldn't, uh, which even if I was healthy, I probably couldn't fix those things anyway. So I really appreciated, you know, that as well. I tell you this first part because I so desperately want you to experience this in your life should something like this happen to you. Do you have a group of people? Do you have a group of people who love God and who love you? And are you in a life group? Are you in that kind of setting where you can receive that but also be that to other people? That's one of the secrets, that's one of the, the things that God has set up as part of his church, and why we implore you to get beyond weekend services in one of these environments so you can experience and not just know about how God is at work. Because I can tell you, you come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. I can tell you over the last number of weeks, I have truly experienced God on a deeper and more, more profound level Much of which is because of so many of you. You have shown me what Christian authentic community is about. You have shown me that you care for me and my family beyond what I do, but who I am. And I need to tell you, there was something that happened that uh, really helped me understand God. Because I began to ask, um, and maybe you can understand this. I started feeling guilty. Did I do the right thing? Maybe we didn't, we misheard from God. Because this sure does not feel worth it to go through something like this. And yet the elders to a man came to me and said, Dan, you understand this was our decision, not just your decision. And so let us carry this together. I can't tell you how much that means. To know that, yes, I walked through a process and we made this decision together. It wasn't just a me decision, which helps when you're going through something like this. But I need to tell you that something amazing absolutely happened because when I woke up from surgery... Uh, uh, there were six of the surgical team that was around just checking in on how things were going and right when I was coming to I overheard this conversation a guy asked a gal hey what'd you do this weekend she said well I I went to church and he says what you went to church she says yeah it was a it was a church date he goes what in the world's a church date she goes you know a guy asked me to go to, to his church and I decided to actually go with him to which then I'm conscious enough. I don't know if this is real or not because I'm medicated pretty well, but I'm conscious enough and I just say, hey, I'm a pastor. To which all the conversation stops, she turns red and they look right at me. And I was like, hey, just out of curiosity, which church did you go to? Because I live on the Idaho side, you know, as well. And I know all the churches in Coeur d'Alene and this, this area. And she goes, well, you know, I can't remember exactly the name, but oh yeah, it's called Valley Real Life. <laughs> And I started laughing, and she goes, what's so funny? She, I'm like, I'm the pastor there. And she's, she looks at me, she goes, no, you're not. You know, because when she came, Tyler was speaking that weekend. She goes, you don't look anything like him. He's good looking. You're not. You know? And so I, I, I say, no, no, I really am. And, and what was, here's what the amazing thing was, is that uh, over the next six days, she was the one assigned to check in from the surgical team with me every day. So I got to have spiritual conversations with her for six straight days about her understanding of who God is, about understanding of church and all that other kind of stuff that never would have happened had I been focused on what I was going through instead of the opportunity to experience God in something that might be hard or difficult. And so I just want to give you that encouragement that God is at work. There is no statistical probability. I should have bought a lotto ticket at that point, you know, for all of that to play out exactly how it happened. And so that's about all the energy I can give you today. So what we're going to do is we're going to have Kelly, who is our VRL Riverside pastor, He's going to come up and walk through what all of this means as we wrap up this series through the life of Moses and for us. So can
1: you please welcome Kelly? Thank you, Dan. So awesome to have you back. Man, it's really good to have him back. Uh, Yeah, as Dan said, my name's Kelly. Hi, nice to meet you. If we haven't met before, I am the Riverside Campus Pastor. If you don't know, we are preparing to launch another VRL campus in Northwest Spokane. Now, just to be clear, it's not in the town of Riverside. Uh, A few of you have asked me that. It's actually, we're calling it Riverside because it's in the northwest corner of town right near the entrance to Riverside State Park. So it's close to uh, Nine Mile Falls, close to the Shadle neighborhood, Indian Trail, five mile, kind of in that part of town. And uh, so it's really, really great for me to be here with you. But you should know, uh, just to break the ice, you should know I am a Central Valley Bear. So... So you're safe with me. I'm not one of those other people. We're safe together. I graduated way back in the year of our Lord, 1995, and I moved away from the valley fairly quickly thereafter. So it's really, it's really kind of just bizarre for me to be back here. I literally, the house I grew up in that my parents still live in is about four minutes from here. So it's really kind of a strange and cool experience for me to be back here. Hey, before we get going, I just want to introduce you to my family. I brought a picture of them. Uh, some of them you may have met before. My wife Brandy is in the middle and I realized this is the most recent family photo we have but it's like two and a half years old. So um, a lot changes when you have teenagers and two and a half years old. Our older son Micah on the left is engaged to um, our fourth child soon to be Erica who happens to be sitting right here. Uh, Our younger son Ezra in the front there is now the tallest person in the family. And our daughter, Hannah, is now definitively not the tallest person in the family. So, uh, so that's my family, and uh, it's really, really been a joy for us to be here with all of you. And I'm just excited about partnering together to launch the Riverside Campus. Um, I, I can't tell you how awesome it is to be part of a church where we have elders, and the, the top part of the leadership in our church have a vision for not just what's happening right here, but also what's happening beyond in the other parts of our community. So I'm excited to be here, and I'll share a little bit more with you about that at the end here. But first I want to tell you a story. Um, I heard a story from an ER doctor. Um, that's one of those jobs that if you have a job and you work in the ER, you've seen some stuff. There's, there's probably a person or two in the room who, uh, who know what that's all about. But the story was about a guy who ended up for, in the ER for a totally ridiculous reason. The reason is he bought a shock collar for his dog. That's a tough start, isn't it? And not like one of those invisible fence ones, but the kind you put it on and has a remote, right? And then when they do the thing that you're, you're trying to train out of them, you push the button and it gives them a little shock. So his idea was, him and his wife are sitting on the front porch and he says, hey, I have an idea, which if you're a wife in the room, just know that when your husband says, I have an idea, all the rest of us are counting on you to say, time out, let's talk about this. She apparently hadn't learned that rule yet. Because she went along with it. And his idea was that he was going to put the shock collar on, he was going to get in the car, and he was just going to start slowly rolling down the street to test the range of the shock collar. And he said, every time I hit the horn, you push that button. So he gets in the car and he starts rolling, and he's like barely pulled away and beeps the horn. And when she pushes the button, the shock was so shocking. I was trying to think of a different way to say that, but I couldn't avoid it. It's the dad in me. It was so shocking that he jams on the gas, careens down a hillside, and smashes his car into a tree. So he shows up at the ER, his face is all bruised and swollen, his nose is broken, he even has burns on his neck. And I know I'm a a Christian, I love Jesus. I should feel sorry for the guy, but I'm having a hard time. You know what I mean? Because there's certain things in life that are, it's, it's not complicated, it's just cause and effect, right? If you have an idea like that, the effect is not going to be good. And that's true for a lot of things in life. I mean, we've all lived long enough to know you can't control everything. In fact, there's a lot of things you can't control. But most of the things that happen in life, we have some input in. We actually have a lot of control over a whole bunch of things. And it's not because we're powerful. It's because God has created a cause and effect universe. He's created it to work that way. It's good news for us because it means that he's not moving the target. It means that he's not hiding, that he actually does want us to find him. He's not just playing games with us. He's, he's created a pathway for us to take clear steps to know Him, to know His will. He wants to be in relationship with us. And the implication is that the believing life is meant to be an experience, not just a creed or not just a doctrine, but, but actually a relationship with God. And so this seventh reality that rounds out this series is, is actually kind of the bottom line of the entire series literally and figuratively. The seventh reality is that we come to know God by experience as we obey him, and then he works, he accomplishes his will through us. Now, I like that. I like that. It's pretty, it's cut and dry. There's just one little problem, that little danger word, all the way at the far right, obey. Anybody Anybody here just really excited about being obedient? History says I may actually have an aversion to being obedient, and I think that's actually pretty normal. We like things our own way. I was listening to this old-time preacher at one time named J. Vernon McGee. He's, he's kind of a legend in my, uh, in my world. And he said one of those things that it like simultaneously like rubbed against my sensibilities and my nature, kind of irritated me, but also cracked me up because it was totally true. He said, this is God's universe, and God's doing things his way. That's great. I got no problem so far. This is God's universe, and he's doing things his way. You might think you have a better way, but you don't have a universe. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like the bottom line, right? It turns out, like, God's basically in charge of everything. That's pretty much what it comes down to. And I just want to challenge you to see this process of experiencing God all the way through to its completion by taking action on the things that he's calling you to. Because if, be- if I believe something or I say I believe something, but I don't actually take action on it, I may actually not believe what I think I believe. So I want to encourage you to see it all the way through to action. So we've been reading through the story of Moses over these last six weeks and how Moses experienced God. And what we've seen is that just at the high level, God has a plan to set the Israelites free from captivity in Egypt. And he's calling Moses very directly, Moses, I want you to go back. I want you to participate in my plan by obeying my instruction. Go back and confront Pharaoh and lead the people out. And then Moses does exactly what we do when we feel like God's telling us to do something. He gives all the reasons why he can't do it. A little wrestling match sort of breaks out between him and God to decide whether or not he's going to obey. So here you have these Israelite people living under these awful oppressive circumstances in Egypt. And God comes to Moses, who now is an 80-year-old shepherd living in the wilderness. And this is what he says in Exodus 3, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. I just highlight those key phrases in there so that we can all just key in on the fact that this is not going well for them. They are not having fun in Egypt. They're calling out to God, please intervene. The next verse says, look, God says to Moses, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, Moses, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. God comes to Moses. Moses, I'm sending you to save my people. Go confront Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt. To which Moses says, no way. To which God says, Yahweh. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. That's terrible. You can't, like, even when I get on the stage, I'm still a dad, you know what I mean? So try as he might to object, God graciously and kindly but firmly leads Moses to the point where he's ready to take action. He's ready to act in obedience. And so he goes back to Egypt armed with this promise, Exodus 3.12, and God said, I will be with you. That's God's promise to Moses. And he says, Moses, I'm going to give you a sign so you'll know that I'm with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. And that's what happened. Cause and effect. Moses chooses to obey God's command to go back to Egypt and lead and confront Pharaoh. And the effect is God accomplishes his will through Moses to lead the people out miraculously. And in so many ways, God continues in our lives to operate in this realm of cause and effect. It looks like this in the Bible. God says, if you do this, I will do that. James 4, 8, fairly well-known verse, it says, come close to God, and he will come close to you. This is God's promise to us, cause and effect. Now, in my experience, maybe it's been different for you. Generally speaking, obedience is, well, let's say it's my choice, it, it, it's something that I get to choose. God's never forcibly like, picked me up and said, I said, go here and set me down. That hasn't happened to me. Generally, it's my choice. And obedience may be a matter of choice, but it's the only way I know to participate in God's work because God has a way. Yeah, it might be optional, but if I want to see God's work unfold in my life, it's going to be his way. This is how he operates. And so God comes to Moses a shepherd living in the wilderness, and he says, Moses, if you trust me and you obey me, I will do a powerful work that you could not have imagined. So God makes, makes good on his promise to free the Israelites through miraculous circumstances. Moses and his brother Aaron lead the people out of Egypt. And God's ultimate plan, what he's working toward, is leading them to the land of Canaan. We sometimes refer to it as the promised land. And his plan is that when they get there, they'll be able to live as a free people in their own land, worship God freely, and enjoy the life that he's prepared for them. But as so often happens to us, soon after they start walking in obedience, they run into trouble because Pharaoh realizes, hey, guess what? My entire workforce just headed toward Canaan. He changes his mind. He sends his army out after them. And so the Israelites, they come to this place where they're pinned down. They're stuck between the Egyptian army coming at them on the one side and the Red Sea coming at them and the Red Sea on the other side. They have nowhere to go. And the craziest thing happens. The entire nation all at once suffers from a case of mass amnesia. Literally, the whole country loses their collective memory. They look up and cry out in fear, and this is what they say to Moses in Exodus 14, 12. They say to Moses, didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves in Egypt. It's better to be slaves in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. They say, Moses, didn't we tell you back when we were in Egypt, we like it here. It's nice here. The weather's good. We have everything we need. Don't lead us out of here, Moses. We love it. We tried to tell you. Isn't that what they said back in Egypt? That's not even close to what they said back in Egypt. They were in misery. They were crying out to God for, for salvation, for God's intervention. But then when things got hard, the temptation to return clouded their judgment. that ever happened to you? Me too. When things got difficult, even though God had clearly revealed his plan to save them by leading them through undeniable means... That in a moment of hardship and difficulty, they took their eyes off of God and their faith started to wane. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I bet it has. It's happened to me before. But Moses had a different experience of the exact same situation. Exodus 14, 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you, just stay calm. See, that was the difference between Moses and the people. Moses lived by faith in God. And that faith allowed him to continue to obey, to continue following God, even under the most extreme of hardship and pressure. He still could continue to follow God. And so I want to just say to us, we should probably be prepared And know that when we choose to obey God and we start taking action, there will always be a temptation to return back to Egypt. There will always be a temptation to go back to the old way. There will be a temptation to trust ourselves instead or stay comfortable where we are. There will always be the opportunity to say, yeah, you know, God, I think I might have a better way. One that doesn't involve stress or sacrifice. One that doesn't involve risk or discomfort the Israelites could have gone back to Egypt at any time. In fact, you might even have called it their comfort zone. It was awful, but at least it was predictable. You know, I heard somebody say something about our comfort zones one time years ago. You know, Sometimes you hear somebody say something, and it's just like, tch, like Velcro, just sticks in there. They said, your comfort zone, that's where your dreams go to die. And that's been my experience. Has that been yours? That's been a real thing, as I've observed. I think one of the most effective ways for us to miss out on God's plan for our lives is to choose our comfort zone over obedience. Moses stood up and he said, you know what, don't be afraid, trust God. And if you know the story, you know God parted the Red Sea and they went across on dry land and when the Egyptian army tried to follow them, God swallowed them up in the sea and they were never seen again. God made good on his promise and here was his promise. Moses, if you'll trust me and obey me, when it doesn't seem practical. It didn't seem practical for him at that, you know, at this late stage in life with, a, with a, a stuttering problem to go and try to confront Pharaoh and lead this entire nation. He said, God said, if you'll trust me and obey me when it doesn't seem practical, Moses, I will do the things that are impossible for you. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, that sounds great, Kelly. God will do amazing things if I obey him. That sounds like a lot of religion to me. That sounds like do this and God will like you. Do good, try harder. Or maybe you're just thinking, you know, Moses, Moses got a burning bush, but I honestly just don't feel like God speaks to me. That's pretty real talk. I think we do that here. I just want to call back to week four of the series. Trevor talked about some of the ways that God does speak to us, and one of those ways was through the Bible. So I just want to respond to to whatever pushback or objection might be raised there with one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible from Ephesians 2, verse 8. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. God's gift of salvation is free. It's a free gift, an invitation into his family. It's the best news of all time. God loved you so much He saw you at your best and at your worst. And his response was, send his son to close the gap. Send Jesus to pay the bill. It's it's the best news of all time. The next verse says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God created you skillfully, carefully, with intent. You're his masterpiece, his most valuable creation. And he created you so that for the purpose of doing the good things that he had planned for you. God has things in mind for you to do, and they're good things. You're not just here to run out the clock or fumble through life for God's entertainment. No, God saves you by faith, he makes you new, and he gives you good things to do in accordance with his will. Our lives have purpose. He's inviting us into that purpose. So what should we do? What should we do with that? The answer as we observe Moses' story is obey the next step. Believe God and obey the next step. Don't worry too much about what you don't know. Worrying about what you don't know will always keep you paralyzed because you'll never know everything. You've got plenty of time for God to reveal what you don't know. Just believe and obey what you do know. If you read Moses' story, what you find out, you, you see is that he didn't have a lot of information. God just said go, and eventually he went. At the intersection of Moses' faith and his obedience, that's where God's plan began to unfold, and that recipe really hasn't changed. Faith plus obedience is where we find God's purpose for our lives. If we want to see God's work happening in our lives, it's at the intersection of faith and obedience. I was really inspired by a young woman on the VRL staff recently named Nicole Gordon. Many of you probably know Nicole. Recently, she left her role here at VRL. She packed up all her belongings, said goodbye to her family and friends, and she moved to another state because there were some kids there who needed to be loved and discipled. And when God looked around and said, who can I send to do the job? Nicole stood up. She said, send me. And I have a lot of respect for that. I admire that. In fact, I'd even say I want to be like that. So what about in your life? Will you believe and obey the next step? I ask because I've had to confront that myself recently. Uh, as many of you know, I came on staff here just a couple months ago uh, to be a part of the VRL family for the purpose of planting a new campus, a new VRL campus, up in northwest Spokane near Riverside State Park. I realize that many of you have never been there before, so I brought you a picture of the front door. This is, uh, this is the Riverside campus up in northwest Spokane, but before two months ago, I was somewhere else. I'd been pastoring a church for about 10 years, a church that I planted here at the end of 2012 in Spokane. And to be honest, it was good. Many of the people that I love are a part of that church. God had done a number of really great things over the years. It was a pretty comfortable spot for me. So I had this, uh, this kind of strange sense a couple of years ago that God might be stirring a little bit of a change. And so my wife, Brandy, and I, we just started to pray about it. God, we just want to give you something to work with. Uh, we just want to be open to you. And, and we prayed about it for a few years. You know, COVID happened, and uh, the world turned upside down. I don't know if you heard about that. But uh, we just continued to pray about it. And then in January of this year... I had a couple conversations with Jay and Dan about the Riverside campus, and honestly, my response was, you know, I love what God's doing here at VRL. I mean, so many people have been baptized this year, the cross is almost fully lit, and the community here is great. I love what's going on, but I also love where I am, so I think I'm just going to stay. And then my wife started asking me questions, which doesn't usually end well. She said, "Um, cool, so we've been praying about, like, a next step for a while, right? Yeah, is uh, getting ready to start this new campus, but they need a campus pastor, yeah, and you have kind of a lot of experience planting churches and starting new things like that, and yeah, kind of, she's like, this maybe sounds like a next step that God has put in front of us, like, maybe we should explore that farther, and in our conversation, honestly, the next step became obvious, but the only question was, was I going to do it? Was I going to obey God's next step? Henry Blackaby said, To love God and believe God, that's the same thing. Dallas Willard said to believe something is to act as if it were true. And so here I am playing my part in launching the Riverside campus. Now, something I know is that in our society, one of the most effective ways to reach people who don't know Jesus is through starting new churches and new campuses. In fact, a new church is statistically about three times more effective than a church that's 10 years old at reaching people who don't know Jesus. Now... VRL happens to be one of very few exceptions to that. In God's sovereignty, he has given us the ability to reach many people for Jesus, and it's awesome. So I say, since we have this heart for planting new churches, let's just turn those questions my wife asked of me, let's just turn them back on ourselves as a family real quick, okay? Does VRL from the very from the elders all the way through the organization, do we have a heart and a vision for starting new churches? Yes. Clearly. Uh, do we have the ability to reach people who are far from God? Yeah, undeniably. Do we have the opportunity at the Riverside campus to start a new church and take what's happening here to a new part of our city? Clearly we do. So it seems to me that the next step for us has become obvious. Now here's the thing. This is a VRL family calling. I have a part to play, but it's not just my calling. This is, this is us. God has put this Opportunity and this calling in front of us. And so I want to invite you to pray about how you can play a part in that journey. God's got plans, He's showing us the next step. The only question is will we obey? Will we do it? Will we take that next step? The leadership of VRL believe that God is clearly calling us to do this. I say let's believe it all the way through to obedience. So I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first one is pray about joining the Riverside launch team. One of the most important elements to launching for health and success in our mission to reach people is critical mass. Uh, It will be a very strange experience if we start with 15 people in a building that size. It will be important for a good number of us to say, you know what, we're going to go do this together. So I'm asking you, would you pray about joining the team for a year and being part of the launch team? The second thing I want to ask you to do is to use the QR code that's on the back of the chair in front of you. If you scan that with your camera on your phone, it'll, it'll pull up a link. You can click on the VRL tab, and if you want to be informed about it, or if you want to make a connection, or you want to have a conversation with me or someone else who's involved with it, just fill out the form, put in your contact info, and we will follow up with you on that. We've been through all seven of these realities for experiencing God. We've talked about God's love. We've talked about his work talked about his calling, talked about his, it's his desire to invite us and involve us into what he's doing, and we've seen all these great lessons from the life of Moses, but all of that, as awesome as it is, it all comes down to one thing. Will we obey what he's calling us to do? Will we take our next step? I don't know necessarily what that is for you, but if God calls you to do something impractical, will you trust him to do the impossible? Will you obey the next step so that, like Moses, he can give you more steps? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's just to say yes to Jesus. Maybe it's to make your faith public by being baptized and obey him in that way. If that's you, head to the cross after the service is over. There will be somebody there who can help you take those next steps. Maybe for you, it's part of being part of a launch team, being part of the Riverside campus. Maybe it's to join a ministry team. Maybe it's to sign up for a life group. I don't know what your next step is. Could be something totally different. But will you obey the next step? Let's pray together. God, we're just here right now in a moment of honesty. And, and we, we know, Lord, that you're always working around us. We know that you're inviting us into your work. We know that that can be challenging for us, and, and even bring us to a crisis of faith at times. But in the end, God, we also know that you have a way, and we want to be part of your way. So, God, I pray that you would reveal to each one of us our next step, and that you give us the courage and the faith to follow you all the way through to obedience. We pray through your Son. Amen.